Hello, everyone. Welcome to this week's edition of Growth Everywhere, where we interview successful entrepreneurs and bring you tips on how to grow your business and how to grow personally. Today, we have the CEO and founder of 15.5, which is a tool that helps you do one-on-ones with virtually all of your employees. How are we doing today, David? Awesome. Thank you. Cool. So um, can you give us kind of like an overview of um, 15.5 and where the name originates from? Yeah, so the name, it's really interesting. Um, there, was a, there was an article in Inc. Magazine in 1988 called, uh, I'm Sorry, Yvonne's Out Surfing. And it was uh, an article about Yvonne Chouinard, the founder of Patagonia. And um, he was you know, kind of noted as building this amazing organization while taking half the year off to go climb mountains and surf. Wow. And so uh, you know, when, the, when the reporter was trying to get a hold of him, that was the answer that he kept getting. Uh, and so they, they wrote that article and they talked about this practice called 15-5 uh, that he used to do with his team. And it's a really simple idea. You have each employee spend 15 minutes a week writing a report that takes their manager no more than five minutes to read. Cool. Awesome. And just to, just to let the audience know, um, you, know, I, you know, I use 15-5 to kind of help run my company, Single Grain, and it is, has been phenomenal. It, it uncovers you know, so many things that I probably wouldn't have seen, even if I have you know, my one-on-one meetings, my weekly meetings. Um, all these kind of different meetings. It's just fifteen five helps add another layer to it, and yeah. you know it's been it's been phenomenal. So great job, David. That's awesome. Thanks. Great to hear. Um, so I guess I should probably touch upon that backtracking a little bit. Um, so we do we do fifteen five, and we have like you know we layer on other meetings at, on top of it. Um, is that like the ideal? Is like fifteen five alone by itself enough, or should people be layering on other stuff like one on ones and stuff? Yeah, I don't think I don't think that. Um... When you can do face-to-face communication, um, I don't think uh, you should go all electronic, right? I mean, it's, there are virtual teams and there are cases where, you know, you don't have a lot of uh, access personally, uh, one-on-one, um, and I think electronic means make sense. But I, I, I do think a combination of face-to-face one-on-ones and something, some sort of regular uh, recurring check-in where you're able to uh, have people be able to reflect on their own on their own time and share what's going on and get all that stuff out before you do the one-on-one. And what we're finding is that when you combine those two things, those one-on-one meetings or group meetings are actually way more productive because you've gotten like the baseline out of the way. You already know what you, you know, you have all the updates and now you can actually get to work, you know, diving in on key issues. Right. So 15.5 is kind of, it, it helps frame the meeting and then during the meeting, it's, it's time to make a decision, right? Exactly. Exactly. Cool. Great. That's a great way to use it. Um, and we should probably adopt that method as well. Um, so can you talk a little bit about um, you know, the growth numbers, like how is 15.5 looking today, number of customers, and all that kind of stuff? Yeah, sure. So um, I'll give you a little bit of backstory. So in, in March of 2012, we launched 15.5 at the uh, launch conference in San Francisco. And actually, um, we, we, it was a little bit premature because we, we didn't even have a website where people could sign up uh, the day before the launch. Uh, we had a product that was working with about 10 companies. Mm-hmm. And so we built a, you know, a quick website just to capture leads because we knew we were going to get some press. And we launched the product and we said, you know, sign up for an invitation because we, we hadn't even built the onboarding uh, process yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we got hundreds and hundreds of leads because the press just loved it. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, one of the uh, outlets that covered us was Inc. And they included us in like five cool new tech tools to try. Mm-hmm. And about a month and a half later, Inc. Magazine reached out and said, hey, we really love what you're doing. We want to profile you in, in the actual print magazine. Mm-hmm. And so they did that, and we raced to get our you know, onboarding structure set up and whatnot. And so we, that, that 
uh, article went live the end of May of 2012, and within about a month and a half, we had about, we had we hundred customers from that article. Wow! And so that was the that was our launch. We hadn't really done much marketing. They found us. I mean, it's almost unheard of to get into you know Inc. Magazine without pitching. Right. And um, and so that was that was a really great start for us. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last year, however, um, you know, we learned a lot in the second half of 2012 with with those hundred customers and a few more. Um, about what was working, what wasn't working, you know, how does it work in different types of organizations, hierarchies and matrices and and big companies and small companies. And by December, we said, you know, if we had to start over again, um, what would we do? How, How might we, you know, change things? And we came up with a whole list of like everything from the system architecture to the integrated test and build suite to the UI and all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, then at the end of it, we're like, well, you know, we could actually start over and rebuild it. And so we did. Uh, and we're actually launching tomorrow. Uh, so our focus has been really for the last nine months on product development and building the 2.0 of 15.5. Uh, but even still, without focusing really anything on marketing, we've grown 5x in, in that same period. So, you know, we closed this past July with over 500 customers and, you know, we're, we're you know, double digit growth since then. Um, so, uh, you know, we're well on track to, to, uh, hit our, you know, our goal of a thousand customers, uh, very soon. And, and, uh, so that's where we're at right now. Cool. That's, that's phenomenal. It's always a good start to, uh, have Inc. Magazine kind of give you an initial push. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, so all the marketing or all the growth right now is just word of mouth. Huh? It's all organic. It's been word of mouth and it's been some really good strategic press. You know, that Inc. article gave us some credibility. Um, when we, uh, ra- we raised a small round of funding last January and uh, got picked up by Wired and TechCrunch and Pando Daily and a bunch of other really great outlets. And so that drove some interest. Uh, then Inc. actually wrote, I pitched Inc. on um, doing a 25th anniversary story because that article I told you about from March of 1988 was exactly 25 years ago. And so they did a they did a, a small piece this March saying, hey, how, how cool is this? We we launched this thing 25 years ago in the 80s, and now mm-hmm. there's this cool tech company taking it and running with it now. So they did that, and then um, and then finally, Fast Company did a great piece on us this summer called the 15 most important minutes of your work week. Mm-hmm. Um, and and so all of our growth thus far has been I'd say 80% PR, 20 per, uh, 20% word of mouth. Mm-hmm. And a little bit from our content marketing uh, work, so we've we've been uh, we've been blogging and and kind of establishing ourselves as thought leaders, but mm-hmm. not really in terms not really to drive leads, but more to you know kind of educate our customers. And mm-hmm. so our customers really love the content, um, you know. And now what's next for us is is actually now that we're launching 2.0 is is shifting our focus to to marketing. Yeah, 2.0 is is a big difference, and I think I like what I like the most about you guys is you're always constantly you know asking for feedback from the users like in the beginning you know I used your 1.0 version I kind of didn't understand what was going on and I you know I kept emailing and you guys were very responsive so I think that really you know shows what kind of company you guys are in terms of you know guys actually taking that feedback that means a lot um, yeah yeah I mean that's what we're about you know it's like you know we want the right kind of communication to happen the relationships between the employers managers and their employees and getting really great feedback and so you know we live in a culture of feedback in our company and so it's really important for us to you know, to be constantly soliciting that. So I'm glad that that came through. Awesome. Yeah, you guys are doing a great job there. Um, awesome. So, yeah, you know, the, the key takeaway here, you know, obviously everyone wants to know, you know, how, how can I acquire users quickly and all that, but it really all comes down to the product at the end of the day because people don't want to talk about it unless it's great. That's how you got your press and that's how you know, there's all this interest around it. Does, does that sound about right? 
I think that's absolutely right. I mean, there there were probably people pushing us to to grow and scale faster, and like you know, go market, go market, go sell this thing. Mm -hmm. And but you know, every person that comes in is a is someone who can go out and tell somebody else, hey, I've got this great you know this great product of this great company. And mm -hmm. so if you're not set up to create what I call you know positive emotional experiences for your customers and eliminate the negative emotional experiences mm -hmm. and leave them with a with kind of like a wow that was awesome. Nobody talks about the mediocre uh, product or or company they work with. They right. talk about like the awesome ones. Right. So I think it's so important to to really focus on the product and have that solid as a foundation before you try to go out and scale. Yep. Let that be a lesson to all the entrepreneurs out there. You know, crappy product doesn't matter how good you are at marketing; they're all going to churn out. So you got to have a good product to keep them. Um, yeah. Cool. So you know, you've been noted as by Forbes one of the most connected people in Silicon Valley. So how does one become, you know, one of the most connected people in Silicon Valley? Well, it, it's funny. It was. Uh, uh, I wouldn't say it was by design. I think there's probably you know part of like who I am. It just you know my whole life. I, you know, looking back, I'm like, oh wow, yeah, I did know a lot of people. Like in you know eighth grade, I was like you know just knew everybody. I knew all the different cliques. Mm -hmm. Kind of the same thing in in like high school and college. I spanned a lot of different uh, you know different groups and bridged the gap between them. And I think it's just part of my personality is I'm just really curious and I like to like to connect with folks, find out what they're up to, you know, what they're about. And when I moved to San Francisco in 2007, I actually I had one friend, literally. So I didn't didn't know anyone. I wasn't connected in the in the in the um, kind of into that world. And two or three years later is when that article you're referencing came out. Um, and so I was a member. I've been a member for almost a decade of this organization called EO, which uh, you're a member of also. So the Entrepreneurs Organization. And um, when I moved out to San Francisco, I joined the board. Uh, became membership chair and took it upon myself to uh, to make it a much bigger chapter because I came from New York where there were 200 plus members and there were maybe 60 in San Francisco. Uh -huh. So I just went out and started meeting people, tons of different CEOs, and I you know grew the chapter to over 100. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, in the first year I did that, and then from there I started. Uh, I ended up living in this really cool mansion in San Francisco up on uh, up on Broadway with nine other people or eight other people. There were nine of us. And it was, uh, you know, a few entrepreneurs and whatnot. The guy who founded Dodo Case, you know, that product <laughs> came, came out of, uh, uh, you know, over dinner was one night that product came out of there. Mm -hmm. You know, in fact, there's a very, I just, uh, someone just showed me this issue of Vanity Fair mm -hmm. that, you know, profiles the block that we lived on. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but, of course, we weren't in there. Uh, but, <laughs> but it's, a, you know, pretty, pretty funny uh, uh, area. Um, and, uh, and I, you know, we just had all this space. So I said, you know, I know all these, these great people. Why don't I start throwing these dinners? Mm -hmm. And so I just kind of put together the list of, a list of like the most uh, you know interesting people I knew um, whether they're entrepreneurs or artists or into interest you know into Burning Man or they're an author or whatever mm -hmm. and started throwing these dinners for 30 people at a time and it just became like a really fun thing to to you know just bring people together and so mm -hmm. you know as as I started to do that I just you know kind of found myself at the center of like all of these different networks huh well, that's actually pretty amazing. That's super actionable. Anyone can, you don't even have to be an EO to do this. You just need right. to start taking action. You know, there's meetup.com. There's all these little cool things you can do. It doesn't have to be EO. Um, so I, I actually want to dive a little into EO because, you know, there's not a lot yeah. of members. In, there's not a lot of entrepreneurs in it um, on, you know, I, I think in these interviews. So can you talk a little more about, you know, what EO is um, and why it's really beneficial for entrepreneurs to be joining? 
Yeah, and whether it's EO or any other type of, of community. So EO, is, if you're not familiar, has, has, has a bar. You have to be doing about a million, a million dollars in sales to qualify to, to join the company or be venture financed. And so um, you know, if, you're, if you're making south of that, I think it's still important to look for peer groups and networks. But what EO is, is, is it's a global network of entrepreneurs. Uh, it's a peer network, so it's a nonprofit. Uh, it's broken up into different chapters. So pretty much every major city in the world has an EO chapter. And it's structured in such a way that they provide uh, learning opportunities like events to learn and also forums where you can, you can uh, group up with other members and meet for like a half a day a month to have a confidential environment to share like whatever's going on for you as an entrepreneur and get real feedback uh, from other people about their experiences and how they've handled similar things. And just that kind of support group of having people who like totally have your back um, is, is so important as an entrepreneur because oftentimes you, you know, most folks who start companies, most of the people in their lives are not entrepreneurs. You know, they're friends, they're family, and it, it can be really uh, isolating if you don't have other people to relate to around the, like, the specific challenges you're going through. Mm -hmm. And there's just so much going on. So, um, you know, I found it like a really great network to, you know, just learn what's possible, you know, to be inspired by other people, to learn about different ways to run the business. Um, and I think, you know, regardless of whatever you're doing in, in your life, I think it's really important to surround yourself with, you know, people that you look up to, that you admire, that are doing, you know, the, the things that you're up to so you can kind of talk about what's working and not working and have support and community around that. Right. So it sounds like to me that the main thing with EO is support, right? Is it, is, is, is it the forum that's the main benefit? What, do you, what is the main benefit out of EO? Yeah, that's interesting. You know, I have to say that, you know, the learning events they've done at the chapter and the global level have definitely been influential to me. Mm. Um, I remember I, I uh, and so, so I, I've, I've been exposed to a lot of really great knowledge. Like the founder of eMyth came out to speak once. Simon Sinek, who uh, many people know now, you know, he's got this hugely popular TED Talk. Well, I met him in 2007 when he spoke at the EO Global Leadership Conference. Nobody have even heard of him. This is before the TED Talk came out. You know, we became friends. He's now an advisor of 15.5. And, you know, it was, it was just something that actually, it was totally, completely foundational. Like his, his message about why, and, it, you know, if you're watching this and haven't watched uh, Simon's TEDx talk, just Google Simon Sinek. You know, he's got over 10 million views on this, on this TED talk. And it's 15 minutes. It's totally worth your time. And it changed my entire perspective about what's possible in business. Mm -hmm. uh, and when you, when you come at it from, from like a really deep purpose, something that you're really aligned with, you want to make a, you know, an impact in the world. And, and how that can change the nature of everything from, you know, how you build your team to how you acquire your customers and how successful you can be. And, um, you know, it was, it was you know, I, if I hadn't been an EO member, I wouldn't have been exposed to that, you know, that thinking, mm -hmm. which changed my whole paradigm of, of business, which led me to asking certain questions about, you know, what kind of business did I want to create? And that ultimately led me to finding uh, the idea for 15.5. Mm -hmm. Awesome. And... You know, you're in, you're in SF, you know, tech moves quickly there. Are there a lot of tech entrepreneurs in EO up there? Surprisingly, no. You know, it, that's the first thing that I hear about. It's, it's mm -hmm. interesting, too, because, you know, it's, it's, uh, EO is a lot more popular outside of San Francisco because, you know, it tends to be the entrepreneur network outside of the Bay Area. But when you're in a place like the Bay Area, which, which you know, the Bay Area itself is like a giant entrepreneurial network, mm -hmm. uh, it's, it kind of gets dwarfed. And uh, I, I don't find a lot of like the tech entrepreneurs joining EO, mm -hmm. uh, but I actually find it as a tech entrepreneur to be super valuable because you're in you're 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 in these um, forums with guys who 
you know, have run businesses. They haven't, you know, they've built them from scratch. They haven't raised financing. They know how to operate a business mm-hmm. uh, and, and do it really well. And so you learn just so much about like just business fundamentals that like I think are missed sometimes in the whole rush in the Silicon Valley tech scene to, you know, raise the next round and, and scale up really quick without any uh, thought about like the underlying fundamentals and structure of the business. Right. And this whole entrepreneurship game, I mean, if you're in it for the long term, it's a really hard game, right? To have to have that forum where you guys meet for, you know, for four hours a month and then, you know, let everything out, it's confidential, and then, you know, go have dinner after. I think that's an experience you can't even get if you're in Silicon Valley and you have a strong network because, you know, people hold you accountable to show up at these meetings. So it's almost like it's your own little board of directors, right? It really is. Yeah, absolutely. And, 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 and like you said, you know, I think when you're just showing up to, you know, kind of socialize with folks, mm-hmm. you know, it's not a, um, not necessarily a place where you're going to like, you know, air out your, 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 your deepest fears or your, you know, the things that are really keeping you up at night. A lot of mm-hmm. people want to put on a good face and, you know, want to, you know, seem like they have it all together. Right. But, um, you know, when you, when you have a commitment of a group of people to, to have full confidentiality and to like, you know, really put attention on each other's success and you can create the structure outside of EO, you know, there's things called masterminds and things like that. But I think yeah. it's really important to have, you know, some sort of structure like that. Um, you know, whether it's your board of advisors or, you know, folk, like I, I have a group of friends who, you know, we're really good friends and we, um, we're all in business. And so we support each other on both of those levels. Nice. Cool. So I want to, um, you know, I understand that you've, you, you're pretty much like a serial entrepreneur or you have been in the past. Um, can you talk a little bit about, you know, kind of the other businesses that you had and, you know, how your other partners, I mean, you know, when you're starting another, another venture, how do your other partners feel like, you know, are they like, why, you know, I, I want to take equity back from here. Like what's going on exactly? What's their feeling? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, I actually started uh, my first company in 1999, pretty much right out of college. Um, with, with another guy uh, who I uh, met at the uh, big consulting company I worked at for about, you know, I lasted about six months working for somebody else before I became an entrepreneur. Uh, you know, certainly had been entrepreneurial before then, but uh, really got clear that that wasn't the path for me. And I met a guy, a uh, really great guy named Mike Ferranti, who's another EO member out of uh, New York. And um, we, uh, we decided to start this company together. I had an idea. I approached him about it. I was, you know, 22 or 23 at the time, and I was a software developer. And so I approached him because he had a, you know, an MBA, and I thought, wow, he must know everything. <laughs> you know, that's that's where we're coming from here, right? And so we decided to, you know, leave this company. It's 1999. The, you know, cash is raining from the sky, and uh, we uh, start this company in downtown Manhattan. And by the time we moved into our offices in January of 2000, we had about 60 days before the whole market collapsed on us. Uh, and uh, it was just just terrible, and our, all our customers dried up, and the product we didn't know what the heck we were doing. We were, you know, there was no agile development or lean, you know, lean startup philosophy back then. So we were building like the ultimate scalable system that would, you know, that we'll invest like a million dollars in, and then it's, you know, it, we needed to scale to millions of people before we even tested on one. And uh, so we made lots of mistakes um, in that process. But, you know, I, I did that for seven years uh, with Mike, and it got really clear toward the end that, um, you know, it just wasn't where my heart was. It wasn't, you know, it's like when you, when, you start, when you start a company with a co-founder, it really is like getting married. And I think it's one of the things I didn't know at the time. I frankly, probably didn't even know what my own values were um, and what I cared about. And so, you know, we had like, 
you know, just different ways of seeing the world and different, you know, kind of sets of values and what we wanted, uh, neither like good or bad, but just not compatible. And, uh, and so, you know, toward the end of that, I realized, you know, this is not the business I want to spend another seven years in. Um, I don't know what the next thing is, but I know this isn't it. And so, you know, we had a really, uh, you know, clear conversation about parting ways and we ended up uh, having uh, the company buy some of my equity back and let me keep some of my equity and, and, uh, and move on, you know, and it's, it's, it's not, you know, I, I can't say the conversations were all easy, um, you know, cause you know, there's a lot, you know, you spend seven years building something with someone and you're like, okay, I, I, I want to move on now. Um, but I think it's really important to be true to your, you know, true to yourself and get really clear as this, you know, if you were to do it over again right now, is this still the business you'd start? Mm-hmm. Right. And I asked myself that question with 15.5 periodically and I am emphatically yes. Like this is, you know, the business I want to be in for the, you know, for a period of time. Um, I actually started a hobby business during my, my work on my first company called Kite Adventures, which was a, uh, a business that we did adventure tours for kite surfers down in northeast Brazil. And um, it was with a couple of other friends. And when I left uh, Endai, it was the company in New York, when I left Endai in 2007 uh, and moved to San Francisco, I spent a little more time developing that, that out and actually went down to Brazil and lived down there for a period of time. And, um, and that was really fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, it was great. It was a great little business, but it wasn't something that I felt like was going to make a real big impact in the world. And, uh, you know, it was a lot more passion than, than, than lucrative. Mm-hmm. Um, but heck of a lot of fun. You know, we do these 300 kilometer adventure tours on kites from, you know, along the Northeast coast of Brazil and dune buggies and land rovers and, you know, met a ton of people. And in fact, some of some some key people in my network in Silicon Valley um, are kiters. So you know, very funny. I don't know if you've ever watched the Steve Jobs uh, uh, commencement address, but he gives yeah. three points in there, and one of them is you can't connect the dots looking forward, right? Mm-hmm. And he talked about how he dropped in on this calligraphy class, and you know, 20 years later, it became the foundation for the Mac typefaces, and you'd never you n- never would have thought, or maybe 10 years later. Right. And so I. Um, I, uh, you know, started this kite surfing travel business thinking, oh, this is going to be a heck of a lot of fun. I'm really into kite surfing and I want to, you know, learn Portuguese and hang out in Brazil. Little did I know that when I landed back in Silicon Valley, kiteboarding would be like the new hot tech thing, you know. And so there's like the <laughs> Google founders are kiters and, you know, Drew Houston, the founder of Dropbox is now a kiter. And it's like, you know, everybody's into kiting who's into tech. And so I ended up getting in, uh, uh, invited into a network called the Mai Tai Kite Camp. Uh, which happens on Maui every year. It's an invite-only um, uh, thing put on by venture capitalist Bill Tai and another pro-kiter, Susie Mai, and they call it Mai Tai. And it's, it's, it's like just the most amazing entrepreneurs from the Bay Area uh, who are into kiting. And so, you know, who knew that would become a big part of my, uh, part of my network that I didn't mention before. Mm-hmm. But you just never know. You know, when you follow the things that inspire you, uh, you just you don't know where it's going to lead and how it's going to play out later on. Got it. So it sounds like for with this kite surfing business, it's like follow your passion, but then eventually, you know, if it sounds like it's time to go, maybe it's time to go, right? Yeah, I always knew it was going to be kind of a, you know, a temporary thing, you know, to, to kind of fill the space in between. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, and I wanted to have that experience, you know, really, be, uh, you know, having having a little break. I'd worked so hard for seven years, like mm-hmm. really, you know, toiling away long nights and so you know what I need to take a little little break for a couple of years while I figure out you know what's true for me and what's what's next. Um, and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think you know I, I talk to a lot of people who think we kind of run in these seven year cycles, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, you know they talk about a seven year itch and those types of things. Okay. And so yeah. 
Cool. So like, you know, you have your other, your other business, you had your kite businesses, your kite business. Um, did you have like co-founders there? Did you have like co-founders for your other businesses and how did they feel about you separating? Oh yeah. So, um, well with the kite business, I did have, I did have co-founders and when it was time for me to move on and focus on, on 15, five, uh, I actually tried to maintain my role there while doing 15, five. Mm -hmm. And I joked that I was like a parallel entrepreneur, you know, like doing, oh. you know, these two things at once. I know a lot of people who get so excited about a new business and they start another one and yeah. another one and all of a sudden they have like three businesses. Yeah. And that may work for some people, but for me I realized uh, it's just it's 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 just not possible. Diverting my focus uh, means that, you know, I'm not able to really channel my full attention into any one thing. Mm -hmm. And even beyond that, like so I you know, I, I took on a practice of, you know, real extreme focus with fifteen five. So what I did with Kite Adventures at that point, once I realized it wasn't working mm -hmm. um, for my focus, is I went back to them and said, Look, I, you know, I want this company to continue. Let's rearrange things so that you guys can run the company. I can maintain a connection, but you know, you know, I'll bow out. And right. so you know, and not taking profits and things like that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and there's all different ways to, to do that, whether you sell the equity back. But I think the most important thing is that you take care of your co-founders and find a, find a solution that everyone can live with and that they're happy with. Right. Uh, where you still get to, you know, be recognized for any contributions and, and, and growth that you've provided to the company. Mm. Cool. Yeah, no, that, that's, it's, it's great that, you know, I'm asking these questions with you because breakups are never easy, um, especially yeah. in the business world. Um, so, you know, obviously you have 15.5, which I kind of consider like a productivity tool, and I understand you to be a very produ produ productive person. Um, so, yeah. you know, can you talk about some of the tactics you use to stay productive? Um, first and foremost, um, and, and this was not how I started, you know, I, I, I was focused so much on the, on like the doing, you know, like, you know, waking up, getting right on my phone, trying to like get through all my email, you know, doing all these different things. And uh, it was only when I started to take a step back from that that I realized some of the keys for me in, in being productive. And the first thing is, is actually really taking care of my body and my health first thing. So like, you know, getting up, exercise, meditation, and, and, and a healthy breakfast, um, you know, to, to start. And, and sometimes that can take, you know, up to two hours. Um, but, but having some sort of like everyday morning ritual that like totally sets me up to, to be able to kind of like very consciously sit down and approach my work. Uh, the next thing um, that I found was actually taking breaks. So there's a great book called The Powerful Engagement by Tony Schwartz. Mm -hmm. um, and he talks about how uh, Tony Schwartz and I, I forget, Jim Lehrer I think is his, his co-author, who has worked with like many elite athletes, uh, a lot of tennis players and whatnot. And what they were saying was that, you know, what separates some of the elite tennis players from, from just the good ones is not necessarily their form or their stroke, but it's their ability to outlast the competition. And ultimately what, what it is, is actually their ability to recover between points, not how they play each point. Mm -hmm. So that was really interesting. So what they realized is that these guys had real key recovery rituals that got them prepared for the next point so they could be fully engaged and keep going for a long period of time. So there's all sorts of like interesting um, physiological science about the way that we, um, uh, we operate and expend and renew energy. And most people know that you sleep in 90-minute cycles, like these REM cycles, and you go through you know, four or five you know, a night. Mm -hmm. Well, it turns out that we actually go through these, uh, uh, many people know about a circadian rhythm, which is like you know, your wake time, your sleep time, et cetera. Well, there's also something called the ultradian rhythm, which is interday, 
and it lasts anywhere from 90 to 20 minutes. Uh, 90 to 120 minutes. Mm -hmm. So what happens is at the end of that cycle, you naturally start to get tired. Mm -hmm. And most people then uh, use that as an excuse to run and grab some sugar or caffeine to try to power through. But what actually is more effective is if when you notice that lull, and I use a timer, like I single task on one thing for 90 minutes. Mm -hmm. And then when the timer goes off, I go and get a glass of water, I lie down, I spend 20 minutes recovering. Mm -hmm. And then I can come back totally fresh Mm -hmm. And I can do four or five of those segments a day and mm -hmm. be and get so much more done than if I just tried to power through. Mm -hmm. um, and so those are those are two of the two of the big keys that I've mm -hmm. focused on. And then the third thing is 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 getting hyper focused. Mm -hmm. Like there are a million million things you could do in any given day. Mm -hmm. uh, having one or two or three things that you're you're really focused on moving the needle on and just focusing like made you know a lot of those ninety minute blocks of time on. Mm -hmm. um, are going to produce the biggest results, and I like to then try to buffer uh, all of like the administrative stuff mm -hmm. into like a list of things that I do maybe one day a week. Mm -hmm. Like if it can wait, you know, I'll just put it on that list, and I'll just bang all out, all out, you know, bang out all the little stuff just one day a week. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like focus on the rocks, and you don't need to make a laundry list. Exactly. Yeah. I don't keep a to-do list anymore. Yeah. Um, I just have my rocks list, and and I intuitively say, well, what's next on that rock? I have the rock and the outcome. And I just focus on, you know, getting to the outcome. Sounds like a really strong tactic. And it sounds like we have we share a lot of the same philosophies here. Um, meditation, you know, I, I just started doing that recently. Um, what are your, you know, for me to start meditation in the beginning, I was like, this is stupid. Like, I'm just sitting here. I'm not doing anything. And I'm like, what's the benefit? And then I needed to do it like repeatedly to kind of understand the benefits of it. Can you kind of walk us through like what tactics you use to, you, you know, do meditation? Do you use any apps or anything like that? Yeah, I use a, a really cool app called Insight Timer. Um, I wonder if I can pull it up on the phone here. So it's uh, that one there, Insight Timer, and it's got this really cool um, gong mm -hmm. uh, that'll uh, you know go off after you know 15 minutes or 20 mm -hmm. minutes. I meditate for 15 or 20 minutes typically. Mm -hmm. Most people, if you're just starting out, that's a that's an absolute eternity. Mm -hmm. um, I would recommend meditating for one to two minutes. Mm -hmm. uh, only mm -hmm. uh, every day for two weeks mm -hmm. and just give it 14 days or 21 days whatever you can handle but just me meditate literally get out of bed mm -hmm. sit down put on your timer for one or two minutes and do that for you know for two weeks mm -hmm. and and then and then you can decide whether it's for you or not but the, mm -hmm. the key is for me is you know really putting attention on the breath mm -hmm noticing that the mind will immediately so most people think uh, the point of meditation is to like totally clear your mind and achieve this like zen like relaxation you know relaxed state mm -hmm. and so they sit there and they start realizing they're they're often some thoughts and they're thinking about all this different stuff and they mm -hmm. think they failed and mm -hmm. then they give up well as it turns out you know like your heart beats like that's what it does it's an organ that beats blood and mm -hmm. pumps blood well your brain just kicks out thoughts that's what it does mm -hmm. you're not going to turn it off Yep. You can you can learn to slow down the thoughts, mm -hmm. and you can learn to observe the thoughts. Mm -hmm. But most people, most people, what happens is their brain is just kicking out thoughts, which trigger emotions, and then you get dragged around in your life by your thoughts and your emotions. And um, meditation is a practice of realizing that you have, you know, your thinking mind, and then you have your awareness. Mm -hmm. And for most people, they're totally collapsed. So your thinking mind drags your awareness around. So you think about something and then you jump into that email. And you right. think about something else and you look outside. Right. But when you're meditating, you're able to pull your awareness back from your thinking. Mm -hmm. And you can sit there and actually observe the thinking and say, wow, that is crazy that my mind just keeps thinking that crazy thought over and over again. Mm -hmm. and, and then what happens is 
you do through that process actually achieve a, a state of calm and a state of centeredness mm -hmm. and which you can then bring into your work life. And I find operating from that place as opposed to operating from like a stressed, crazy, ragged, you know, place is always more effective. Right. Um, and then you're also able to notice the impulses that are dragging you around in your life. So if you're addicted to email, mm -hmm. um, you know, you're, you know, you, maybe you start on a word doc and you're starting to write something, you get one sentence in, you're like, Oh, I have to check my email. Mm -hmm. That's a pretty common thing for people because email gives you this dopamine release. Mm -hmm. Well, if you're, if you've practiced your meditation, what will usually happen is you'll notice the impulse and it's not that the impulses are going to go away, but you're able to notice the impulse. You say, huh, that's interesting. And you can choose not to go check your email. Mm -hmm. But if you don't have that, uh, if you haven't trained yourself with the awareness um, you're just going to go do it. You're just going to be impulsive. And so that's, that's the biggest benefit I've found. Mm -hmm. and, and in addition, the ability to really single task focus. Mm -hmm. Like it is amazing. If you put on a timer for even just 15 or 20 minutes and focus on one thing for that period of time, mm -hmm. like it's amazing what you can get done as opposed to trying to like, you know, flip between your email and multitasking and all this other stuff. Yeah. Um, and I find that uh, my meditation practice allows me to like focus for longer periods of time. So now I can go like 90 or 100 minutes mm -hmm. uh, doing, doing one thing. Yeah, that's amazing. And a lot of entrepreneurs have said, you know, meditation has been one of the biggest benefits, you know, to their lives. So, you know, having the benefit of having that laser-like focus, that zen-like calmness is something you probably can't get um, unless you meditate. And I always like to say like, you know, success is kind of like a sphere, right? You really got to go in a straight line, you know, success is on all the edges. But if you zigzag everywhere, you're not going to hit it, and meditation helps you, you know, get there. Um, yeah, I love that. Yep. So, um, cool. Um, productivity tools that you use. Yeah, fifteen five. It's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> productivity tools. Um, what do I use nowadays uh, besides the Insight Timer? Mm -hmm. You know, I'm looking on my phone here. Um, I'm pretty I'm pretty light on tools at the moment. I was using a thing called Flow. I really like the guys at getflow.com. Uh, yeah. Um and I uh, was using that. I, I still use that periodically to like delegate some things with and communicate with my assistant. I think that was really fantastic, but you know, since I gave up uh, you know, using a to-do list, I'm I'm not doing that so much. Um, Boomerang uh, for email is awesome. I boomerang stuff all the time. Mm -hmm. Um and uh I think that's just the best Gmail plugin ever. Yep. Um the other thing is they ha they have a really neat thing called inbox pause. I don't know if you've heard of this. Uh yep. Uh yeah, so what I do is actually I get my inbox to zero and then I pause it. <laughs> so that way even when I go back to looking at it, it's like this nice, clean, clear thing. And yep. I'm like, oh this is awesome. Mm -hmm. And so I only unpause pause my email when I have a block of time that I'm committed to doing like multitasking, which mm -hmm. is usually once a day or at night. Mm -hmm. uh, and so I stay out of my email inbox otherwise for the most part. And so people text me if there's an emergency. Mm -hmm. um, but that's pretty much it for right now. Um, okay. trying to, yeah, yeah, that's pretty that's, much it. That's really interesting because, you know, you talk about batching. And I find that a lot of entrepreneurs find that hard because they're just like, no, there's so many stuff I have to tackle. I need to keep opening email, blah, blah, blah. And for you to have that kind of focus is really mm -hmm. unique. Um, so I think, you know, first of all, meditation. I mean, what are, what are the other steps to kind of, you know, get that focus? Uh, gosh, you know what? It's, it's, um, it's all about, ha it's all about creating like healthy, healthy, productive habits. And mm -hmm. I, I have to tell you, like I fall off the wagon periodically, mm -hmm. uh, when, you know, when stuff happens, like we're in the midst of a launch right now yep. and I've been off my, you know, I've been waking up 
rolling over and checking my iPhone mm-hmm. and, you know, not doing my exercise in the morning and not meditating this past week and I can mm-hmm. feel the impact. It's like really not good. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like sometimes when things like get so crazy, like we're in the midst of this product launch, it's going out tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I, I, you know, I end up falling back. And so when I realize I've gotten too off track, you know, I can come back pretty easily mm-hmm. because I've, I've created these, I've created like kind of this habitual routine for myself. Mm-hmm. And so that's the key is like really saying, I'm just going to change one thing for the next two weeks. Mm-hmm. And don't try to, don't try to like just completely revamp and overhaul your life and, you know, say I'm going to meditate an hour a day and, you know, I'm, all, I'm, I'm only going to work with timers and all this mm-hmm. stuff and then, you know, you're going to fail. Mm-hmm. Um, the key is to say, you know what, I'm going to exercise for five minutes every day. I'm going to meditate for two minutes every day and just do that. And if you want to start working with timers, which I strongly recommend, Mm -hmm. you know, get a good, get a good timer, uh, like Pomodoro pro on the iPhone or or whatever, uh, some sort of timer on your phone, uh, where you can single task and just try doing it for 30 minutes once a day, even, you know, and say, I'm, I'm just not going to multitask for 30 minutes. And then once you've done that, you can say, all right, I'm going to add another 30 minute block Mm -hmm. and just layer on these, uh, these habits over time. And just focus on one thing at a time because it, it's it's really you know behavior change and changing your own behavior is one of the probably one of the hardest things you can do but also one of the most rewarding you know one of the things that uh, um, there's a company called Strategic Coach that I really uh, I really love and I haven't done any of their programs but I but I've, I've been exposed to some of their thinking and uh, one of their uh, their strategies they talk about all these different strategies is focus on habits and forget about discipline mm-hmm. and and there's a really interesting concept he said. Most people will complain they're not disciplined enough, right? And I think that's true. Mm -hmm. Uh, But as it turns out, he said, he goes, everybody's 100% disciplined to their existing habits. Mm -hmm. So when something's a habit, you don't have to think about it. So he said, if you if you spent what like uh, if you spent each month for the next three years focusing on just adding one new positive habit to your life, Mm -hmm. by the end of three years, you'd be a completely different person. Because you'd have 36 new positive habits like impacting your life that you don't even have to think about that are like on auto drive. Yeah. And it takes about a month to, to, to create a new habit, to like really change one piece of your behavior. And the other key for that is, is to, you know, if you have bad habits that you, you, know, you have certain things, mm-hmm. forget about trying to stop and waste all your energy trying to quit. Just mm-hmm. focus on adding the new habits. Yep. And those things will naturally drop away. That's totally true. And that's super effective advice. Um, Actually, there's this uh, Stanford professor called B.J. Fogg, or named B.J. Fogg, and he has this program called Tiny Habits where, you know, you enroll in the program, it's free, just Google Tiny Habits, and all you need to do is he'll tell you to do stuff like, hey, just plan out some habits and just three habits, try testing them out, right? So one might be floss one tooth, right? You don't even need to floss all of them. You start small and you get bigger and bigger. So that's really effective advice, and I can tell you uh, from personal experience, it's worked for me. Um, Awesome. So wrapping up here... um, so fifteen five. Um, do you do you like fifteen five with your co-founders or anything like that? Oh my God, yeah. We uh, we're like we're addicted to the tool. I'm I, you know frankly I'm building this tool because it's like it's I need it. Yeah. It's like it's it's a very selfish thing. Like there's mm-hmm. so much more. I, I, you know, we're going to be adding because there's so much more that I that I want and need from the tool. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but it was very funny when we first started. It was just the two of us, and mm-hmm. I was like, "Well, this is silly. We're not going to write reports to each other." Yeah. Um, but then we added our third, you know, the third person to the team, and I said, "You know what? We got to start using our own product. And right. we, you know, we have to know what it's like." And I didn't. I I thought it was just for the the sake of actually getting used to like what it was 
about. I didn't think mm-hmm. we were going to get any value out of it with three people. Mm-hmm. I couldn't believe in the first week I learned things about my co-founder and our first employee that mm-hmm. I had no idea were going on, and there were only three of us. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, I was a total convert, obviously, with our own tool uh-huh. uh, right from the start. And so, you know, we, we, uh, we totally rely on it. It's awesome. And we've got, you know, a much bigger team now. Awesome. And so do you, I mean, you know, if you're interacting with your co-founder and 15-5ing with him, do you have any unique questions uh, that you can like share that other entrepreneurs can like ask each other, you know, or founders yeah, ask their founders? Oh, it's, uh, well, we don't have one specifically with like the co, co you know, he, uh, um, my co-founder reports to me, you know, as a CEO and we do that and I respond. So he's just doing, doing a report. I do a report back to the whole company uh-huh. um, so that everyone reads that. Uh, one question we ask that's not in kind of the standard questions we we put out there is like, what's uh, which which fifteen five core value has had the biggest impact on you this week, and uh, it gets people thinking about the uh, the culture and the values. Wow, that's huge! I'm stealing that. I just yeah, I wrote that down and I started right there. Um, <laughs> cool. Um, final final uh, question here. So um, one final piece of actionable advice to uh, entrepreneurs looking to grow their business. Oh yeah, I, I would say pick one thing and focus on that. So you know, if it's um, you know, for example, like we're a, we're a self-service SaaS company. So you know, to get people to to grow our business is a function of getting people to the website. So there's traffic generation, mm-hmm. getting people to sign up. So there's conversions off the website, getting people to actually activate and use the product. So that's once they you know sign up and they get through and they actually add people and start using it, mm-hmm. then getting them to convert to a paying customer, mm-hmm. and then uh, retaining them so they don't churn. So there's like mm-hmm. five steps. Right. Uh, if we were working on all five at the same time, we probably wouldn't do that good of a job. Mm-hmm. But if we evaluate all five stages and say, you know what, the place where the weak link is is on our, on our website conversions, spend a month with your team just working on the website conversions. Mm-hmm. Dial that in. If it's getting people to convert from a trial to paid, which you know we used to do it like you know 5 or 10%, and now we're up to 25%, focus on that. Really dial that in. And, and get those pieces working reasonably well. I mean, I wouldn't spend forever um, on each one, but then you know, getting those dialed in before you then go out and spend the money on driving people in the top of the funnel, because you'll be able to like increase the value of every visitor mm-hmm. by by getting those things further down the funnel really dialed in. You know, so it's like you know, if you're gonna uh, you know, if you're if you're churning at like 15 or 20 percent, mm-hmm. fix the hole in the bucket before you go buy more water. Right, that's totally right. true. Yeah. So. Powerful piece of advice from from David right here. You know, he's a serial entrepreneur, and he's telling you here <laughs> to focus, and that's how he's so successful. So, you know, I think that's a really powerful takeaway, and that's a really great way to end it. So, David, I thank you so much for doing this, and uh, hopefully, we'll talk again soon. Awesome, thanks. Thank this you. Great. Bye. Bye.